Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined once again here by Chris Zarnick shortly. The Green Bay Packers got off to a pretty impressive start, defeating the Seattle Seahawks in a matchup of two teams that are expected to contend very seriously for the NFC Championship. The Packers winning at Lambeau Field 17-9, and there was a time in the past when the Packers just could not seem to beat Seattle Two of the craziest losses in NFL history. They also got beat pretty thoroughly on the first week of uh, 2014. But since then, uh, much like that old Dallas rivalry, they've had to come up to Lambeau Field. And the Packers have now evened the series with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, beating them three straight times. So um, I know there's a lot of other contenders that seem to sneak up as we try to beat these other teams. But it's nice that they have consistently shown that at Lambeau Field, the Seahawks aren't much of a match for them. Uh, well, hi, uh, Eric, and welcome. Uh, thank you for coming, having me back. So, uh, I think the bugaboo here. So, so every team's got a bugaboo. Every every team's got a team that they just can't get over. Uh, even if you think about the Packers in any of their Super Bowl years, there was a team that they just couldn't get past. And uh, what what makes Seattle interesting, by the way, is that in all but the 2014 game, the Packers really controlled the game. They absolutely had the game in their hands. They absolutely, in most cases, had it won. Uh, and so we see it as this, you know, domination by Seattle. But if but for the lack of about four plays, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're five and one in those uh, in one of those games now, ifs and buts and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But a very impressive win. And um, and I think some unexpected things came out of it that we've been talking about on the podcast uh, that really came to pass. And let's get into some of those. Um, this might be both unexpected and expected, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. So the def- the defense really controlled and won this game. And in particular, Mike Daniels and Nick Perry played like... Richard Dent and Steve McMichael yesterday, <laughs> almost putting the entire pass rush on their back. And we know about Seattle's offensive line issues, but let's say they're a bad offensive line. All pros should do that to a bad offensive line, and we definitely saw that. Yeah, you're right, Eric. When's the last time you saw a Packer pass rush like that? I mean, I, I would argue that that there had some people like Sean Jones and Reggie White mm-hmm. on them. Um, I, you know, I don't know what it says. I don't. I don't think that the uh, the Packers are the dominant force on the offensive line. But you do it to any pro line, mm-hmm. and I mean, it was completely dominant. They were living in the backfield of um, of Seattle, and you know, save for a couple of miracle plays by uh, Russell Wilson, this game is a, a you know blowout by two or three touchdowns. So, I think. Um, I think they're as good as advertised. I think finally, uh, and they looked the part. You know, mm-hmm. when when Mike Daniels would would get up and he'd flex, right? He'd put <laughs> his arms up. You go, man, that that that's a full grown man. And then all of a sudden, Nick Perry would make a, a sack, and he'd get up and he'd do, you know, he'd do the same pose. And you're like, what are they doing in Packer uniforms? <laughs> you know, this is this is something I haven't really seen before. Um, and you saw a ton of the nitro package, an absolute ton of the nitro package. Uh, and you know we've talked about that in the past, but apparently they were in the nitro package about 75 or more percent of the time. I was reading the statistics of mm-hmm. when uh, Bryce was on the field and when um, oh Burnett was uh, down in the linebacker spot. Yeah, they said he played most of the game there. Right, and our our uh, actual linebackers Martinez and and um, 
Ryan yep. played very little. Uh, Mar- Martinez played more than Ryan for sure, but very, very. I think there were only three plays that the two of them were on the field mm-hmm. uh, in obvious running down. So uh, uh, a surprise, a wonderful surprise. Uh, we've been talking about the fact that we think they're stronger, we think they're faster, and at least uh, for, uh, at this time, it seems like some good things are coming to happen with some more help on, on the way. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, you know, we're talking – um, Martavius Adams, I always get his first name, yeah. up, I think. Um, and, and obviously Vince Beagle as well, which both are kind of playing those two positions of Mike Daniels and Nick Perry. So it was nice to see that. I think Clay Matthews was getting railed by some people, but I think he played a pretty nice supporting role. I mean, when two of your pass rushers are playing uh, chase the quarterback and basically having a two-man race to Russell Wilson every single play, it's a little bit difficult to get on the stat sheet. But I think Clay Matthews, he missed the one sack, but – you know, maybe that role for Clay Matthews nowadays is going to be a cleanup man a little bit. And um, if Perry and Daniels can keep doing that, you might not need Clay Matthews of 2010 to have a really effective defense. Well, and what Clay Matthews did better than he did in many of the games against Seattle and Russell Wilson in particular is he held his edge. So, so often he gets pinned inside and Russell Wilson runs outside of him or he makes this really wide pass rush and Russell Wilson runs out his side but underneath his rush. And you saw some very deliberate, you know, kind of get to the depth of the quarterback and then stop and kind of pincer in, but nobody was, you know, nobody was coming on a rush that was completely out of control. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, Russell Wilson had a couple of good runs, but did you notice where they were? Right, right up the up middle. The middle. Yeah. Right up the middle. And so the first thing you have to decide, listen, you're not going to stop a, a quarterback that runs that well in every way, shape, or form, but you want to send him where all the help is. Yeah. And so they did a really good job of that. Yeah, and if not for some really, as you said before, some miraculous plays by Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson, I we haven't had a chance to talk about him much on this show. You know, he's a Wisconsin guy or whatever, but he's like a first-place dork. And I'm just not a big fan of him, especially after, uh, you know, basically talking himself up like he did. He earned the victories against the Packers in 2012 and in the 14 championship game when it was, you know, just completely absurd. But he is probably in the top 10 most elusive quarterbacks of all time. Well, I think so. And not only elusive, but you saw in that 136-yard throw, Mm -hmm. I mean, he rolled out to the right. He got out of uh, trouble. He rolled out to the right. And he threw a dime mm-hmm. to to his receiver, thirty six yards downfield, and this is right before halftime when they end yep. up getting that field goal. Um, it's one thing to be able to run; it's another thing to to square your body to the line and 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 find your base and then make that kind of throw. So, listen, we beat a good quarterback. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm frustrated too. I think it. You know, if he was uh, if he was a Packer, we probably would be telling telling people how great he was. But. Um, we beat a good quarterback yesterday who can do an awful lot of things. And frankly, if he couldn't run like that, this game would have been 17 to zero because the only thing they got was him scrambling up the middle or him, you know, getting uh, up the middle and then, and then flaring out to throw it uh, on the run. Well, and and Russell Wilson, there's always going to be a debate on where he fits, you know, as a a quarterback in this league. I tend to think he's, he's a second tier, good quarterback. I think so too. He's not breeze or Rogers or any of those guys. Um, He's, we were talking about this earlier today, and I've mentioned this on the podcast. He's in that chucker category with uh, Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> and Joe Flacco and those guys where he can make you look silly at times, but 
especially on deep stuff, he's he's not that pinpoint accurate guy. He's kind of just lobbing the ball up to people and hoping they can make a play. Maybe in Joe Flacco's case, a little bit more trusting of his receivers and jump ball situations than the Aaron Rodgers of the world. Well, you said an interesting thing that there there are surgeons and there are chuckers, and I really <laughs> love that because even if you look at the second half when when he made a couple of long completions, essentially what he did is he he sent people on fade routes against uh, D- uh, Demarius Randall. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, uh, Demarius did a pretty good job uh, because you can't stop all of those. And there were some pretty darn good catches. But, but there was none of this um, take three steps and the ball's out. I mean, you yeah. almost never saw that, which is that's the classic quarterback throw that you want to make. Three steps, the ball's out. Five steps, the ball's out. And uh, in this case, you know, there was somebody in his face almost immediately. So, uh, listen, I... Well, and, and, and that's where I wanted to transition because... He being the classic chucker, one of the epic chuckers of all time is Jay Cutler, and he has always been the poster boy of ownage for Dom Capers, a guy that he could just absolutely figure out. They could never seem to do anything that wouldn't fool Jay Cutler, and Russell Wilson is a better player than Cutler. I don't think Cutler is just total trash like people seem to, but Russell Wilson's much better, but... Is Dom Capers' ownage of Russell Wilson and maybe Daryl Bevel approaching his ownage of Cutler and his I, I harem so. of uh, offensive coordinators? I think so. So, so go back. You know, you've got you've got yesterday, which is obviously a pretty dominant uh, uh, performance, and um, they took away the scramble. Right? They took away the scramble. They took away the run, and um, un- kind of unprecedented pressure on the quarterback. But go back to even the games they lost. Um, you know, interception after the NFC Championship game. What do they have? Three interceptions in that game? I think or five. It could. It's just, I, I was trying to figure out if it was three, four, or five. I didn't want. It's probably four, since you said three and I okay, said five. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Lots. <laughs> you know, he has not. Russell Wilson, other than that one game, has decidedly not beat the Packers. So I think Don Campers has the exact right defense for them, and what he knows is that uh, Russell Wilson isn't that three-step and ball-out quarterback. So now what you do is, and, and when you, you saw it a couple times where he almost got picked off, the Packers almost picked him off, you can lay traps for him, which mm-hmm. is you have uh, defensive backs coming off of other receivers as he's making that throw, as he starts uh, scrambling out of the pocket. So I think what you have here is somebody who is not a timing quarterback, who is looking actually for an open receiver, but in the NFL, once they're open, it's too late. Because yep. once they're open, the the corner, but either the safety's coming down or the cornerback makes an adjustment and comes down. You actually have to throw the ball before they come open, and um, and I think Russell Wilson on his scramble is looking for the open guy, and that's too late. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're a chucker, you know, it's, it's tough to <laughs> we'll let that go. It's, I love it's, that. We're not trying to hashtag chucker or anything. <laughs> so one thing that I have questioning coming out of this game, and I'm sure it's crossed everyone's mind. So. Are you more impressed with the Packers' defensive performance and the hope that they are going to be significantly improved this year? Or, potentially, does Seattle just have that big of a crisis at offensive line that might hinder their chances to have a special season? Well, I think their offensive line, if they don't do something, I wouldn't be surprised to see them pick somebody up on a waiver wire or, or you know, trades happen very rarely in the NFL. But Seattle's in trouble. I mean, the, the Packers' pass rush is, is good, but, but Nick Perry... And and uh, Mike Daniels were there the last time they played, and they yeah. sure didn't look like that. Yeah, and so they they had trouble before their uh, their left tackle Fant, I think was his mm-hmm. name, but when he went down with a knee injury, 
um, they're moving people all over, and uh, their people, you know, their their right tackle was their right guard last year, and so I think they're really in trouble. So, so am I excited about the Packers' pass rush? Well, yes, I'm frankly more excited about our our cornerbacks mm-hmm. and our uh, you know safeties that come down to be linebackers. Um, I think Seattle's, you know, there were there were shots that came out afterwards, photos that came out afterwards, where there were like three Packers like behind their offensive line, uh, going to Wilson, and and that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't happen with anything that resembles a, a pro offensive line. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll give us some credit, but I think they're really bad. Yeah, and and I would tend to agree. And part of my caution, it was nice to see the defense win a game, which was really nice. We've been waiting for that for a long time. I believe last week or one of these weeks that I want to see the Packers beat a good team where their defense is to blame. And that surely was the case yesterday. However, they've terrorized Seattle before with this defense. They've always had certain teams that they could be able to beat up on. And so I'm excited that they had some individual performances that were good. Morgan Burnett played naturally in that that nitro package as a linebacker. You saw Quentin Rollins get in on some nice right. uh, breakups and things like that. But uh, and then Demarius Randall played okay, although dude, you're from Arizona, you can't get cramps when it's 65 out. <laughs> I mean, drink some water, you know, get a Gatorade. <laughs> now, but but Eric, I'll, I'll ask you this. Now we we've been begging for the Packers to win a game on defense. The yeah. Packers win a game on defense, and we say, well, it's not quite exactly what we were looking for. I um, want to see them do it against a team they haven't done it against before. There you go. That, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yep. It doesn't impress me. It impresses me. Let's not be that easy to throw it away. Sure. But they've been successful. The five interceptions, by the way, was Russell Wilson last December. That's true. That's when they picked him off that. I think it was four in the championship game. But they held him to 10 points last year. And and so to me, I know it's early in the season, but I want to see what they're going to do against the Falcons if they can slow down the Falcons. And then when teams start getting their footing under them and we expect New Orleans to be what they are, if they can finally, for the first time ever, slow down Drew Brees, then I'm in. Then you're in. So, so the other the indicator that the Packers' defense as a whole, whether it's the defensive line, is better, is that uh, you know they only had they had uh, 60 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. 50 of those yards came on two plays. Yeah. One was that cutback by the running back, and one was a scramble by um, by Russell Wilson. So that's a that's a good indicator that right. And and here's why because the remember when you're pass blocking, the pass blocker people are pass blocking are reacting to whatever the defense is doing. But when you're run blocking, you're dictating. You know where you're going. You're the only ones that know where the play is going and where the running back's going. And I'm telling you, there was nothing. Eddie Lacy, uh, you know, Eddie Lacy was looking for the hot dog stand uh, <laughs> most of the game because he looked better. He looked thinner. Yeah, that's looked... because they wear dark blue pants, I think. <laughs> okay. Or maybe they paid him $100,000 to, oh, to make weight. I would, I would both, make weight. I would say. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but what I'm saying is there was nothing. I mean, I, there was nothing for that um, undesigned run plays. Wow, that's a Packer defense like I haven't seen. And, and that's an indicator because the offensive line should be able to run buck, at least get a stalemate. Mm-hmm. And you saw even defenders in the backfield when they ran the ball. Yeah, so the, the total figures for the uh, Seahawks, 225 total yards. Uh, they sacked Russell Wilson four times, which is a, a feat in and of itself. 
the Packers 39-13 to 20-47 in time of possession, which is a colossal advantage, held Seattle to just 12 first downs. And here's the big one because the Packers have always had trouble with this. I forget what the stat was, but if you go back and listen to the Atlanta episode in the playoffs last year, uh, and again, Seattle's not Atlanta offensively, right, right. but the Packers have been pretty bad on third down. They I think the Atlanta game was the highest uh, percentage of third downs converted in the playoffs in like 25 years. And uh, they held Seattle to three of 12 on third down, which is big. And that's, you know, that's a really big, uh, that's a really big deal because if you're an offense, you practice the third down plays, you have very specific plays, whether it's third and 10, third, you have a set of plays. If it's third and seven, you have a set of plays. If it's third and five, you have a set of plays. And so you have very specific plays that you've practiced over and over and over again. And again, the defense is reacting to it and to hold that team to that kind of uh, yardage, you know, any uh, NFL team really to 225 and in, in, in the modern NFL, that's something. I think that's an incredible thing. And and you know, here's the other thing: you didn't see. Uh, we'll get to the defensive backs probably, or, or maybe this is the part. But we uh, we didn't see wide receivers running free. You know, yeah. one, one of the things that used to, would bother you against Atlanta was when the ball got thrown, you just waited and you knew there was <laughs> going to be somebody five yards behind the defensive back. You didn't really see that here. Yeah. Um, so, so all around, really quite an amazing effort. Absolutely. So let's talk about the other side, which was really the heavyweight matchup of this game, which was the Seattle defense. I felt like every pregame show was talking about how many Pro Bowlers Seattle's defense has had in the past. And then you have all-universe quarterback Aaron Rodgers with some brand-new weapons, Martellus Bennett. They have a, you know, Ty Montgomery really committing to him being the running back rather than kind of uh, helping them out in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And the offense really struggled at first. It looked like it was going to be okay. Then Aaron Rodgers throws as bad as an interception you'll ever see from him. He just said he didn't see the guy. And then you have some kind of series of penalties. We'll get to that later. But um, So there, this is a, a tale of two halves especially for Aaron Rodgers. He, I think, played wonderfully in the second half to get 17 points against a defense that is as good as theirs. But um, he's got a bit of an issue that we've seen now is that we we saw it against Atlanta after Ripkowski fumbled. Um, You've seen it in the past that he – it's almost where Brett would throw an interception and be like, Coach, I've never thrown four. Uh, I just trust me. Yeah, and Bre- and Aaron Rodgers is like, I threw one interception. They're gonna kick me out of the league. Right. It's the it's the worst thing ever. And I, I think sometimes he reads his own. Uh, listen, everybody's telling you. Every newspaper article, every television show is saying that Aaron Rodgers' greatest. You know, will end up the greatest of all time. Um, we'll throw four hundred touchdowns before he reaches a hundred interceptions, which he's about a hundred and. 25 short on the touchdown <laughs> side and I think 27 yeah. short on the 100 uh, interceptions. So so I don't know what happened on the play that he got intercepted but uh, um but that's you know so okay so that happens um my, my, what I think is important for the listeners to know is that as long as I've been coaching in the beginning of the season the defense is always ahead of the offense and mm-hmm. because offense is all timing mm-hmm. and uh, without that proper timing without that practice it's very hard you know the, the, the margins of error are very small but defense you know go find the ball get it mm-hmm. don't find the person with the ball go tackle them and hit them so so in general terms you know what happened yesterday on both sides of the ball uh, is super predictable mm-hmm. if, if you look at the um, you know most of the, the the first few games defense is going to win because defense has been playing the same defense over and over for years unless they have a new defensive coordinator and they just they just react mm-hmm. but the offense is uh is put in has put in plays just for that 
week mm-hmm. just for that opponent. Um, and, and I think what you saw was um, some indecisiveness. And I, I, what was interesting is I made a comment. You and I were texting during the game <laughs> yesterday. And I said, you know, uh, boy, our, our receivers can't get open. And your response was, no, I don't know. I think I see some open receivers. I just don't know if Aaron's not picking them up. So I, I don't know if that's practice. But did you see that same thing? I did. I think that's where I, I want to watch the All-22 on the NFL Game Pass because – they had one montage where Troy's like, well, nobody's open. And Randall Cobb has his arm up with nobody on the screen. Now I know receivers think they're open all the time, right? right? But (laughs) there was, uh, I think it was either Devante Adams or Martellus Bennett, who's basically had run a route to the sticks and was standing there with his hands. And it probably would have been a tight throw, but you know, my layman's, it looks open. And I know you could, I'm in no way qualified to determine who's open and who's not, but we all know that Aaron Rodgers' idea of open is not the same as many other quarterbacks. In I the think NFL. it's. I think that's true. We we um, he, he seemed tentative. I, I yeah. will tell you that Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if he was expecting more of a pass rush or if he was worried that uh, Brian Balaga. Remember, yeah. You know, so you win this game without Brian Balaga, which uh, I said was impossible in our preview show. Right, and um, and it was uh, you know they really do have that many Pro Bowlers on defense. I think Seattle's could be the best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been for years close to it if they're not. So, so again, we accomplished something uh, special. But I think Aaron was pretty tentative because I remember, you know, him taking a sack. Or I remember he, you know, there were times when he had five, six, seven seconds to yeah. throw the ball. And, you know, you've got four white, four receivers in the pattern and nobody's open, even though you've watched them for the last 12 years. Finds, it just and and when you're watching other teams, you know, quarterbacks that aren't, aren't as good as Aaron Rodgers, but, you know, it's not like we have chopped liver running routes. I mean, Randall Cobb's a good player. Jordy Nelson is perhaps one of the best receivers of this generation. You have Martellus Bennett, who's one of the better tight ends in football. Right. It's it, it's hard for me to believe that it's completely the fact that there is absolutely no wide receivers open. But let's give Aaron Rodgers more credit. He, he definitely came back. McCarthy made a comment I don't want to elaborate on too much because he didn't elaborate on it much, but he said that their strategy was really, he, he uh, compared it to Floyd Mayweather's strategy against Conor McGregor, and for those of you who aren't as stupid as me and didn't spend $100 to watch this fight, <laughs> um, I actually enjoyed it. I'm a boxing fan, okay, so I don't expect right. every fight to look like Rocky Four. but they expected Seattle to pin their ears back and just rush Aaron Rodgers. And he made it sound like he said we want we wanted to exhaust their pass rush. So I interpreted that as we know they're going to rush. We're not going to hold everybody in and get worried about it. We're going to expect our guys to block their guys. Aaron's going to have to understand that, make some plays, make some space for himself. But when that second half comes and they're tired, we're going to have a ton of open lanes. And that's pretty much what happened. I, I think that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, it's funny now that you mention it. The second half uh, pass rush. I mean, they got to him a couple times. They sack him four times or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but the second half pass rush did not seem at all. I, I, I didn't know that. So I'm really. Uh, that's interesting that you say that. And it makes perfect sense. Uh, and it's easy for a coach to say after that game to be like, "Well, I." The reason that they were tearing through the line is that was my idea. Right, right. and go ahead and sell that to Aaron Rodgers before <laughs> yeah. the game. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to let him tee off on you, but it's really going to pay off in the second half. <laughs> yeah. um, and we had an interesting conversation, too, earlier today about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Aaron hadn't played almost any in the preseason, and he certainly hadn't been hit mm-hmm. at all. And 
I don't know if any of the uh, listeners saw it, but you know some of the hits he took were not really very hard at all. Yeah. And he's laying on his back and he's stretching out his legs, and I'm just—I mean, I just got bumped down in most of the cases. So I think for everybody, it's the first game after preseason, and and when you don't play your starters more than you know eight or nine plays through the whole preseason, I think you forget what it's like to get hit. I think yeah. you, I think you you forget what it's like to go against people who are really, really trying to <laughs> inflict pain on your body and do just about anything to get there. So um, I, I think we saw some rust mm-hmm. uh, because of not playing, and I think it just gets better from here. And I'll say this for Aaron Rodgers in that I, I, I like what you said is that, uh, especially us as fans, but I'm sure even the players, you forget that most football players are not that pleasant of an experience. <laughs> I'm sure you're happy when they're successful, but it's not exactly the most fun or comforting thing that you're going to do in your life. But Aaron Rodgers, I think, um, nationally, not as much anymore, but when you're following Brett Favre, you tend to always have your toughness questioned. And I think that Aaron played tough yesterday, and yes. he was diving head first for first downs. And uh, there's there was a time in Brett Favre's career that was well before the age Aaron Rodgers is now where it was clear that he just was not willing to take hits anymore. I'm not running. I'm not doing quarterback sneaks. I'm not staying in the pocket, even if I'm throwing five interceptions against the Bengals or running 50 yards down the field and throwing it then because I'm not getting hit anymore. And for Aaron Rodgers to be nearly 34 against the best defense in the league and still be willing to to hang in there and maybe not play his absolute best, but to still be tough, I think sometimes uh, we have to recognize Rodgers' toughness as well. I, I agree. And, and he, you know, he picked up some very critical first downs with his legs. I mean, I think very specifically kind of in the beginning of the fourth quarter where, you know, the momentum was not on our side and he picked up about 13 yards on a scramble um, but he did get right out of bounds, which you know yeah. thrilled to death. Uh, and but he dove head first. I mean that classic play where uh, Bennett got the, the yeah. personal foul. Um, and I don't know if we're going to talk about that later. But Rogers said, "Listen, I'm thrilled to death that somebody had my back. I'm thrilled mm-hmm. to death." Now, you know th- that 15 yard penalty is fine because they made the first down. Yeah. If they hadn't made it, and then you you know that would probably be a different. We might be singing a different tune. And then kind of a nice poetic uh, moment for Packer fans is that um, they run that that keep pass and Martellus Bennett is the one who gets them all the yards back and the final first down. So it was kind of a, a little, uh, if if you believe the Packers are the chosen people, it was a little bit of karma for him. Yeah, it, 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 it speaks to the attitude. We talked on the on the podcast earlier about the, the influx of some people from the 49ers would really bring some attitude. But I think Martellus Bennett, as, as happy a guy as he is and as jovial as a guy he is, I think he's got some, I think he's got some, uh, uh, Anger, frustration. Um, I think he's willing to bring the intensity up to a different level, and he might just bring the rest of the team with him. Yeah, and what's interesting is on uh, Packers.com, they have their insider inbox Q&A every day, and one of the fans had mentioned that they liked Martellus Bennett in that role, and I believe Mike Spofford, the writer, had said that they really lost their enforcer in T.J. Lang. And, yeah, he was the guy that, I don't know if you remember when uh, – and Dominican Sue did the big step on Aaron Rodgers' injured calf. On the next play, he about blocks him out of the back of the end zone and is still digging at him after the play. Like he, TJ Lang was the guy who was going to make things right, whether it was between the whistles or not. And not that you condone that, but you kind of need some guys who aren't going to let you push your quarterback around. And especially in offense, I mean, you have a lot of defenses that have enforcers on them. But but you know, if you're just a finesse offense. 
you can absolutely get pushed around. And so you really need somebody. And if TJ Lang was, you know, was that guy, somebody else has to step forward. And, and you know, let's just face it, Martellus Bennis, A, knows how to win, and B, also understands when that doesn't exist on your team, you can, uh, you know, when he was with the Bears, that that if he doesn't bring it, nobody's going to bring it, and, and it really affects their team badly. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's nice to see that he's going to have a very large uh, range of contributions to this team. So while we're talking the, the offense, TJ Lang, they lost their enforcer. So they also didn't play without, or they played without Brian Bulaga, who I, I think is a very important part of this team. But on the flip side, you played perhaps the best defense you're going to play all year with Kyle Murphy. It certainly wasn't a fun experience for Aaron Rodgers, but you got the job done. And, you know, that's maybe these guys are not as deep as we'd like them to be, but maybe deeper than we gave them credit for. Yeah, and, and you know, you could have worse problems. Kyle Murphy is probably this, you know, the best uh, offensive lineman this, at Seattle would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. So, so um, you know, that's your backup. And, and listen, you have a plan. You, you, Kyle Murphy needs experience, and Jason Spriggs needs experience, and, you know, you're going to lose some offensive linemen. Um, Jahari Evans um, played okay, got pushed around a little bit by, uh, by Richard... Um, Richardson. Richardson, yeah, thank you. Uh, which he's not the first one to get pushed around yeah. by him. But he looked a little bit 34. He yeah. looked a little bit um, overpowered. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. Did he play much in the preseason? Maybe it's just another, hopefully, I'm trying to, I guess, go to bat for the guy, but maybe he hit, just had the same rust that some of those other starters had. Maybe. And, and maybe uh, Seattle's just that good, too. I mean, you know, it, it's very possible that we're trying to compare every other team to the best to the best defense or the best defensive yeah. line out there. I, I Sometimes still, their guys beat your guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's exactly. hard for us fans of one team to remember that at times. But they're the Packers. They wear green and gold. They should beat everybody. <laughs> yeah. If they don't beat everybody, it's their fault. Right. Um, it's, I still have concerns about running the ball. Um, you know, we did not run the ball super often. Um, I think we averaged three yards a carry, yeah. something like that. And uh, Ty Montgomery was, I think, nineteen yards for or nineteen carries for fifty-four yards, which is about two point eight. So, so I what I think is interesting here is there's always a uh, a question: Does the running back make the offensive line, or is the offensive line line make the running back? And uh, and again, unless you're Barry Sanders, it's the offensive line makes the running back because you had essentially. Um, the two starters for Green Bay and the two starters for Seattle had almost no progress mm -hmm. and because they had, you know, their offensive lines didn't move anybody off the line. And so you can be as shifty as you want, but there, if there are three people um, right on top of you as soon as you get the ball, I think you're really in trouble. So I, I think mm -hmm. we have some question marks around mm -hmm. that. You know, not everybody can run against Seattle, but, but we didn't come close to breaking anything. And... Um, you know, you only saw, uh, you know, you only saw a little bit from um, Jamal Williams, and you know he fell forward. It was nice, but three yards of carry is not going to win it in this league. Yeah, and I guess the silver lining. I agree with you. They got to get more production. The thing that always impresses me is when Mike McCarthy's at least willing to run, especially when the offense isn't going very well. And so you got to get more than 54 yards, particularly on 19 carries. I mean, 19 carries. You got to be in the 70s at least. But for me, I am at least relieved that they gave him a shot. However, this was the most touches that Ty Montgomery ever had in a game, and he had to come out for a few plays. And uh, but he also had a rushing touchdown. Don't forget that. I mean, he had a rushing touchdown a where one. he was hit. Yeah, he was hit really hard at the two yard line, 
and and he really bowled in. So you know he's not he's not just a quick scat back. He's a, he actually has some some uh, you know thickness to his legs and some real power back there. Uh, you know let we can. A lot of this seems to come back around to the whole they didn't play much in the preseason kind yeah. of thing. And so uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, and, and thinking in that same way, so this is week one. And we've had – people love when the NFL season starts. Obviously, this is the first time the games matter. And the NFL – um, I, I don't have the stats or whatever in front of me right now, but it seems like they made or have been making a concerted effort in probably the last 10 years for sure, but definitely the last five years, to make these first games of the season enormous. I mean, I was looking at some uh, uh, stuff for uh, – I don't even know if we'll get to it, but just was reading different NFL stats, and I'm always – chasing different things. Mm-hmm. And I saw that the 1989 49ers, defending Super Bowl champions, started their season at 12 o'clock at the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, they didn't play on Thursday night football against the Giants or the Bears. I mean, they try really hard to put these games at the start of the year. And what happens is they get hyped up endlessly. Right. And you hear Fox and ESPN and all they were talking about for a month before this game was this is likely going to decide who hosts the NFC Championship game. And it's easy for us fans to decide that, but they said the same thing about the Week 2 Sunday Night Football matchup in 2015 where the Packers beat Seattle. Well, now Green Bay's got the inside track on home field. Turns out nor Green Seattle nor Green Bay would even win their division. And then the Cardinals and Panthers are hosting. And, and last year, I'm sure a lot of people saw 4-12 and 12 Dallas and 8-8 eight and eight Atlanta being the first-round buys. So... <laughs> I'm excited. It's a big win, and it's more important to win while you're learning than it is to lose, but these teams are far from the form they're going to be in December and January. No, that's absolutely right. Don't don't ever forget that N- the NFL is is doesn't really care who wins and loses. Their job is to sell Coke and Pepsi. That's why uh, I love when you see people with the conspiracies on Twitter. They're like, oh my gosh, they want to screw the Packers or whatever my team is, they want to screw them. The truth is, Titans versus Rams – well, that already was a Super Bowl. But <laughs> right. Jags versus Buccaneers would be the most watched thing on television in the world this year. They don't care about it, screwing I, your team. I, I think that's really true. And, and so your point about this not being a finished product is a really is a really true thing. So really, if you think about it, you have you don't have one of your off, your, your all pro offensive linemen. Um, you've replaced T.J. Lang, and you don't play your best ball, and you beat perhaps the best defense. In the league, I don't know. I think you take that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's great that you beat Seattle because it 2014 they lost to Seattle in the first game. They ended up with a t- the same record at the end of the year, and they had to go to Seattle well, in the Seattle. championship. So it can happen the way that they scope it out. But I think I I grew up in the 90s, so I tend to overrate these earlier games. But I'm coming around to it. When I grew up, the Super Bowl champion was the 94 49ers or the 96 Packers. 98 Broncos, 99 Rams, where your strategy was just destroy everyone till midseason, <laughs> yep. then get a couple injuries, lose a couple of close games, then destroy everyone for the rest of the season. And while teams still put up good records, you've seen teams that finished with good records that look shaky in the beginning of the year. So I think I'm, I'm to the point where I want to be incredibly excited and I still have hope for this season, but I'm like, eh, it's too early. Yeah, and there's, the parody is, uh, you know, you, you really have, 
if you, if you look at it, you know, there used to be like, well, you know, the 49ers are going to win and the Cowboys are going to win. Uh, you probably have in both leagues, especially with uh, the Patriots' performance. Now you have yeah. a lot more AFC teams that, <laughs> that, believe uh, suddenly. that believe suddenly, right. But you probably have four or five really legitimate contenders on both sides, and that was the whole idea of parity in the NFL. That was mm-hmm. the whole idea of the salary cap, the whole idea of, of uh, the draft and all those things. And so, you know, it, it, the way to sell the most product is to never have a good idea of who's going to win the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that will have people tuning in until the very end. So the NFL is a very smart franchise. It's a very smart uh, business and very smart organization. And, the um, you know, the, everyone's going to root for their own team. Uh, or their fantasy team. Or their, or their fantasy team. You know, that's interesting. I was, I was actually um, – at a, an outside pub watching the game yesterday. And, um, you know, I was all excited about the Packers. And I, I can't tell you how many people, guys, I will say guys, who are on, the, who are on their own phone checking their – not even really watching the game that much and watching the fantasy, and I'm like, wow, that's a different that's yeah. a different era that I come from. You know, the, totally fine. It's your it's your thing. Knock yourself out. But um, boy, that has uh, that has changed the game a lot. Yeah, I know for the worse, in my opinion. Uh, that, that's the ultimate. I'm only 30 years old, but that's the ultimate get off my lawn for me. It's just <laughs> like uh, the this is to all due respect to everybody out there. And that includes people that talk to me about this stuff. I will listen because it means something to you. There are few things more boring in the world than hearing about someone else's fantasy football team. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's a whole different, uh, it's a whole different mindset. You know, you don't watch the game. You watch people who keep the stats on the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I have an 18 year old son, and I thought it was lazy when he played video games. <laughs> now he watches video of other people playing video games, and so I think that's a whole new level. Uh, but reg- regardless, uh, you know, it, it, it's brought an awful lot of interest to the game that a lot of people that uh, wouldn't normally uh, watch it. And it's, a, it's obviously an enormous thing. You and I are in the vast minority yeah. here, my friend. Well, uh, forget those people. I'll pay for Sunday ticket if you just stop showing fantasy stats for teams <laughs> that stink and are getting destroyed. <laughs> but that's for another day. Um, so let's go to to the Facebook comments because we asked how some of our listeners felt about this and we got some great responses from uh, some of our most loyal fans. So Brian Dinsey said, I thought our defense looked much improved and made less big play mistakes. And that goes to what uh, Chris had been saying earlier, that there weren't those gaping holes that we've seen in the past. Uh, Daniel Johnson says, it was... An ugly game, but a win is a win. I think Seattle is on the decline. The defense played well except for about a handful of plays, but still did a great job of keeping Seattle out of the end zone. Offense didn't play as well. Rodgers seemed to be holding the ball too long sometimes, and the running game never really got going. I was a little disappointed in some of the dumb penalties and wasting timeouts, but it didn't cost us. It seemed like the 2000. It seemed like a 2015 Packers game. Either defense is great or offense sucks, or the offense is great and the defense sucks. Never can get both in sync. So before we go to Corey's comments, um, so there's a lot of interesting things in there, Daniel. I guess Seattle on the decline, was their performance that bad? We, we kind of touched upon it before, but maybe to quickly reiterate it. Was their performance that bad that it makes you question their uh, stance as still one of the serious Super Bowl contenders? So, so I just want to be really clear here. You give them a, an average professional football offensive line, Seattle could have won yesterday. Yeah, I mean, remember that you know, seventeen to nine is not exactly a blowout, and they get a touchdown called back. 
uh, and you know Russell Wilson's l- running from his life from the beginning. I, I think I think Seattle has one area that makes them incredibly weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't paid attention to it. They put all their time, money, and effort into wide receivers and and paying their uh, you know their defensive backs and their uh, defensive linemen, and it shows. Mm-hmm. They got you know they kind of got caught this year. And but you can also perhaps make the argument that. Seattle's offensive line has been the same version of the Packers' defense for quite a number of years well, now. Well, there you go. That, yeah. yeah, if they had this, they would be great, but they can't seem to create it no matter what they try. And and you had uh, all these draft choices. I think that's the difference. We had so many draft choices on the Packers' defense. We committed an awful lot in uh, draft choice talent, and they really haven't done that in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they've, they've tried to bring in a free agent or two, but, um, you know, General managers have a belief that there are certain players or certain positions that you have to pay for, and apparently in Seattle, that's not the offensive line. So uh, if you don't commit to it, you can't be surprised that it's not good. I, I just want people to know that as as good as we looked, we won by eight points. Yeah, we we dominated the the, the time of possession by twelve minutes. Uh, twenty minutes. Twenty yeah. minutes, and we won by eight points. <laughs> So in fairness, they would have scored again if they had to. They were deep in Seattle territory as they. I, I guess that's true. Yeah. I, I guess that's fine. Um, but but point taken. It's it's not like you ran away with them, and it's not the thirty eight ten whooping you put on them last year. But so I think it, Seattle's the same case as the Packers. I think it's too early to say their offensive line is going to be abysmal. Minnesota's offensive line, as we have that on as we're talking right now, Minnesota's offensive line didn't look to be a big problem, and then midseason last year. They got Sam Bradford killed and won three games in their final eleven. So things happen that you know these teams again are not their final form. There's just just you know you can you can get by. So here's the thing: you can get by with a with a below average defensive line if you have good linebackers and if you had have uh, good cornerbacks. But you can't get by with a really bad offensive line because once people are in the backfield, everything is is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Your 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 passing timing your protecting your quarterback, lanes for the running backs. Uh, there's one place you don't – I mean, look at the really good off, really good uh, teams over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You Not one of them, would you say, has an incredibly weak offensive line. You know, um, Dallas last year, I don't think they're as good this year, but Dallas last year, a big reason why, why Zeke and Dak were so good is nobody touched them. I mean, yeah. it, it's like the Dallas Cowboys of the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, Emmett Smith is the greatest running back. Well, yeah, everybody can be if you don't get touched for the first yeah. five yards. Although I think Emmett's to the point where he's so – called overrated so often now that I think he's back to being underrated. Okay. (laughs) Watch those games when Sherman Williams used to come in and then it would kind of fall apart on him. But point taken, absolutely true. Um, And by the way, uh, we're obviously recording this before you're listening to this classic Sam Bradford with about a three-yard pass on third and 14. So um, uh, Sam Bradford already in midseason form. (laughs) What's old is new again. (laughs) Yeah, I I really like the the game. And and what was really interesting about it, my my son Ben had a really interesting comment. He said, the game was without offense, but not without drama, Mm -hmm. which I think was really true. And and so we're so used to the shootouts with other teams that it it looked like an odd win. It it, it kind of looked like an odd win. We expect things to go a certain way. And uh, when Aaron Rodgers doesn't play well, we lose. And all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers doesn't play great, and we win. So we're excited and confused at the same time, but uh, I think it's a great trend. Absolutely. All right, and Corey Bend 
added this comment. Um, when you hold any team, NFL team, to nine points, 12 first downs, and less than 21 minutes of possession time, it has to be seen as an encouraging sign. But if you think that means our defense has arrived, pump the brakes a bit, that Seattle offensive line is a sieve. I need to see them play well against a team that can actually block before I'll believe our defense can be a top 10 unit. And hey, what do you know? We get road tests against the Falcons and Cowboys in the next four weeks, so it won't be that long until we find out. I'm not worried about the offense. Rodgers looked flustered and off his game for the entire first half after throwing the pick, but recovered and played well in the second half. 17 points against a defense as stacked as Seattle is a good half. They should be fine going forward, and things will get much easier for them now that this opponent is behind them. So, um, I We have think really knowledgeable listeners. Holy cow. Like I, I'm just thinking that those comments are uh, right on target. Yeah, absolutely. And and I kind of forgot the Cowboys are out there looming for the Packers. But that looks like another team that hasn't played very much in the preseason. And the Giants look like their offense is going to score like four touchdowns all year. Wow, that was, uh, you know, that was uh, as much as the Packers and the um, Seahawks were hyped, they were really hyping the, the uh, Cowboys and the Giants game. And that was a dud i mean that would that was really bad game i tried to watch it as a matter of fact and, you know it's it it's hard to get me to turn off any football game <laughs> and i walked away from that football game and went you know there's nothing that's going to happen here that's even remotely interesting so the giants are in trouble uh dallas didn't look uh as explosive or as good as they did last year but um uh you know i think we'll be seeing them again mm-hmm. uh you know they they're a good team, but again, good offensive line, yeah, right? Good yeah. offensive line and an average defense. Although Jalen Smith finally paid off for them, they he played a lot and he looked really, really good. He looks like a a tall safety playing linebacker for them, but boy, is he fast! Yeah, and again, I mean, we can't say the Packers are an unfinished product and then not expect that of other teams as well. Yeah, I which, think that's exactly so. Right. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, with those. And by the way, they would hype Giants and Cowboys if both teams had gone three and thirteen last year. <laughs> it's true, actually. It seems to be in the U.S. Constitution that they have to be on Sunday night. Like football Packers and Bears, even if you've beaten the Bears like ten yeah. times in a row, it's the biggest rivalry <laughs> or no they don't even say that anymore they say oldest rivalry. oldest rivalry right <laughs> because it hasn't been a rivalry in almost my entire time of being a fan um and then we have some great comments uh, back and forth with daniel Corey, and myself about how stupid it is that scott tolzine keeps getting repeated chances to play in the nfl and why it doesn't make any sense about which Badger quarterbacks actually get to play. Scott Tolzien gets to play a bunch. Brooks Bollinger gets to play an, a bunch. And then both of your winningest quarterbacks in uh, school history in Joel Stavi and uh, and John Stocko, who also have the most touchdown passes in school history, don't even get a chance to be in a training camp. Yeah, you know, Wisconsin is not, uh, you know, we're not a passing team. We we run the ball, and, and when we pass, it's so surprising to them that I think the receivers are incredibly <laughs> yeah. wide open. Now, you got to give a little bit to that one year that Russell Wilson played for us, yeah. but I think that's an incredible ano- uh, anomaly. But why let our uh, – we're not a passing school. Why let our worst – passers at our non-passing school start NFL games where John Stocko had one year we had 21 touchdown passes in Wisconsin that's like 70 right exactly <laughs> so and he doesn't I think he got a, a three-day trial with the Packers and a three-day trial with the Giants and he didn't even get to like get a dorm room in a camp the, the, you know the the Tolzien thing uh and I met I met Scott Tolzien when I was uh, working down at UW-Madison good guy um but boy, oh boy, he looked really in over his head. Now, once again, pass rush in his face. Uh, if you look at both interceptions, pass, 
rushes right in his face. He throws the the uh, the ball about one step before he really should, and he has to hang it up there so the receiving corner will go underneath it, and any good cornerback is going to pick that off. So, yeah, it was pretty ugly yesterday. And, and it's a rough draw for him because without Andrew Luck, I think the Colts might be the worst team in the league. They're, uh, they and the Jets will uh, will be fighting for uh, top uh, top draft position. Yeah, and it sounds like Luck might not play for a long time. So, um, yeah, good luck with that, Colts. Have a fun season. <laughs> Um, and then Corey shared some topics that I wanted to get through really quick. Um, Eddie Lacy, we talked about a bit. Is he doomed running behind that line? I think with a line as bad as theirs, he's a pretty bad fit because he seems to need a lot of time to get through the line. He needs a lot of space. He's a big guy to begin with, and he doesn't shoot through the line like a scat back. So um, I think in their minds they thought he was going to be Marshawn Lynch, but I don't know if uh, – Marshawn Lynch could be beast mode anymore. Yeah, that it's a really bad fit, and I, and I think when you're that big, you have to be able to get going and get momentum. And if you've got anybody around you to to keep you from going in a straight line within three yards, uh, you just don't have any momentum. Now, once you get momentum, you can truck people. But I, I listen. I think that's not going to be a good fit unless they put a taco an all you can eat taco <laughs> stand in the end zone. I don't. I don't see him. Uh, I wouldn't have him on your fantasy team. <laughs> Perhaps not. All right, uh, Corey adds, scoring is noticeably down in week one. Teams averaged 19.3 points through Sunday night's game, down a full 3.5 points per team from last year, which are some awesome stats. Thanks for sharing those, Corey. Will this continue? Our offense is rusty, our defense is improving, or is it just a fluke? Um, In that order, I tend to think that, one, offenses are rusty, two, it was a fluke, and three, defenses are improving. I liked seeing defense matter for a week, even if maybe the offenses weren't that great. But I think that the, like always, that we've seen ever since the new collective bargaining agreement, I think you'll see the scoreboard getting lit up pretty soon here. And if it doesn't, I'm sure the NFL will change the rules to make sure that happens again <laughs> well, next year. Well, not playing in the preseason affects the offense way more than it affects the defense. Because, again, the, the timing on offense is so tight and it's so difficult. You know, the only reason that... that um, Aaron Rodgers had such a good game with Jordy Nelson is that they've been doing it for years and they, you know, they're doing it on the sideline when he's not in there. And and so when you're on defense, you can just kind of flip the switch and go get the ball on offense. It's going to take some time. Although he said it's down from, uh, from last year, which is really interesting. So, so that would only make sense if we're playing uh, starters even less in the preseason than we did last year. So, mm-hmm. um, and I guess, I, do, I guess I don't know if Corey means, down three and a half points from the year average or from week one. Oh, last okay, year. all right. So I'm assuming that's for the whole season, but okay, it did feel to me too that, I mean, they're they're playing less and less. Yeah, you, you know, point to the game yesterday that was a surgical offense. Yeah. That was an offense that was on rhythm, on time. Uh, and really, you know, really took somebody apart. There was one on Thursday. There was one on Thursday, actually. And uh, I got to tell you, that was, um, you know, no, uh, not only no 19-0 and 0 for the Patriots, but my goodness, that, that team looked slow. It mm-hmm. looked old. The defense looked lost. And KC um, has built their offense on speed, and oh my goodness, they looked much, much faster than the Patriots did that night. Yeah, gosh, I forgot his first name already. Uh, is it Kareem Hunt? Kareem Hunt yeah. and Tyreek Hill. Okay. I remembered Hunt because of Lamar Hunt, yes. the old Chiefs owner, so that's how I tied him you together. You mean not Cletus Hunt? Uh, oh, God, yeah, Cletus. <laughs> Another great Mike Sherman uh, uh, long-term signee as right. his GM. Um, let's get to that before we get to uh, to Corey's final two points. 
Tom Brady, again, we we don't want to obsess too much because it's week one, but people talked about him like he's just going to beat father time forever, and he looked like a 40-year-old quarterback on Thursday. You made a really interesting point, uh, maybe in our second podcast, that uh, everybody, look at Favre, look at uh, Manning, 40 is like a, it's a dividing line. If 30 is a dividing line for running backs mm-hmm. and wide receivers, it appears like 40, if not before, but 40 yeah. is one of those, you know, just fall off the cliff because everybody kind of just fell off the cliff. And he looked old and he looked like he had no interest in in uh, taking a hit, mm-hmm. giving a hit, um, making the, you know, extending the play. Uh, towards the end of the game, we were talking about this. Towards the end of the game, the uh, the Kansas City defensive line would rush a couple of, and then just put their hands straight up in the air, right? So that's the only way to really defense those super quick passes. Mm-hmm. And twice, Tom Brady just kind of fell down. Yeah, <laughs> just he, like he didn't take it. I'm not saying he took a sack. I mean, he fell down. <laughs> and so, um, the you old know, Jim Everett sack, right? So, so Father Time is undefeated still. Yeah. For now, <laughs> he might he might uh, throw a few punches before he loses, but gotcha. um, we'll we'll see what happens there. Kansas City um, looked good. I like their new guys, but uh, Alex Smith. I I suspect it's a one week um, removal of his status of the most boring man alive. I think he's probably going to go fifteen of thirty for one hundred and eighty yards, a touchdown, and a pick, and lose to the Eagles at home on Sunday. Well, I, you know, we had this conversation where you were talking about Alex Smith, and you couldn't, you know, you wanted him out of the league. And son of a gun, if if sometimes we don't just eat our words because um, the one to hunt though was just a really long check down to the running back. That's real. That's an absolutely true statement. But uh, but I'll tell you that the deep ball he threw and with the uh, with the blown coverage, um, that's a that's a pretty ball. And and so so here's the question then, you know it's always unwilling or unable. Is Alex Smith unwilling to throw downfield or is he unable? Well, it's clear he's able. Yeah. And so now the question is, it was it the, was it the scheme telling him not to? Was it the coach telling him not to? Um, because he clearly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, now again, I don't think a leopard changes their spots, and I you know I, I wouldn't expect him to throw for 400 yards a, a whole lot this year. But um, uh, Kansas City, that's a that's a significant team. Yeah, uh, although they last lost Eric Berry, which is a really, really big loss. Yeah, so I, I guess I didn't see any updates, but it was the Achilles then. I think it's the Achilles. Okay, yeah, yeah that that'll be a big loss. But at least he get they gave hope to every other team in the AFC, um, and then many of those hopes vanished over the course of Sunday. Um, we're gonna circumvent and change the order of Corey's topics here. So the Bengals, Cardinals, Texans, and Giants were all expected to be at least in the mix for playoff spots and looked pathetic in week one. Who is in the most trouble? Should we expect any of them to bounce back? So you have teams like the Bengals and Texans who have been in the playoffs uh, recently. Then you have Tennessee who's hoping to be an up-and-comer. And all of those, uh, all three at home, looked pretty pedestrian after seeing what Kansas City did. And for me, Chris, I think that the Giants, they're going to have a tough road because the conference is tougher. I think Arizona's done because Carson Palmer. Yeah, he, he, I mean, is he 40? Uh, <laughs> I think he's close. 38, but 40 is like the – Favre is the only guy good after that. Right. Most of the quarterbacks in history, about 37, are just like overnight they stink. And that overnight for Carson Palmer was in the week between playing the Packers and Panthers in the 2015 playoffs. I, I It just – you know, there's a certain level of – of fire a certain letter, level of leadership that when you see it um 
I'm not saying he's phoning it in because I think he's a he's the ultimate professional. But at some point, you just don't want to get hit anymore. At yeah. some point, you're just not willing to take the take the hit uh, or extend the play or run to try and get the critical first down. Um, you know, you start becoming conscious of your health and you start becoming conscious of it. And so, um, I, I you know, I, I thought he was done a couple of years ago. And so, God love him. He he held in there for a little while, but. Um, that they're in trouble. Of those four, who do you uh, expect to bounce back, if any? So, um, you know, I, you, you're not going to like this answer, I think, but anybody who has a quarterback who's won in the past, I think, can, can win again. The Giants looked terrible, um, but, but you know, Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls. Um, and even the Bengals, you know, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Andy Dalton, um, but but again, they have a defense that can carry them a little bit, mm-hmm. and so um, you know I think th- I think the Texans, you know, they've they've invested so much in their defense and so little. You know, Tom Savage is your starting quarterback. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, he wasn't good in the in the in no. the in the uh, Big Ten for goodness sakes. <laughs> He's so, no macho man. That's um, I, you know I I think they're really in trouble, and and, and part of it is their own hype. You know they're so JJ Watt is an amazing guy. Oh my, and, and again Wisconsin guy, amazing guy, and there's so much focus on him. Um, but you've invested an awful lot, you know, in Clowney and him, and you haven't picked a quarterback. That, I, that's it, what I don't understand, and and they almost deserve whatever they're going to get. That defense could be good, but when there is absolutely no threat on offense. The other offense is fearless. They can do whatever they want. Absolutely. It even good defenses are going to fall apart and I think they have some nice pieces, but as a whole they're certainly not in Seattle's league. And to me I I know they drafted Clowney first overall and I off the top of my head, I'm not a draft nick like you. Do you remember any good quarterbacks from the Clowney draft? Uh that's what 3 years ago? Yeah, I think 2014. Yeah, it would have been 2014. <laughs> Derek Carr was maybe in that draft. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Blake Bortles was the top guy in that draft. So, obviously, Bortles was a, is looking like he maybe isn't the best. But Derek Carr was in that draft, and he was never going to go to Houston because his brother was there. Right, but, right, exactly. But even just the mentality, we didn't know how Blake Bortles was going to play out then. Just the mentality of taking another defensive end. I swear, you could take... Deacon Jones on one side and Reggie White on the other side. And if your quarterback is Scott Hunter, you are not going you're to not, win. You're not going to win. You're, you're just like Detroit in the 90s in Matt Millen where you take another wide receiver. Yeah. Well, you can have all the great wide receivers if you want. If you can't, you know, if the, and nobody can get the ball to him. Or if you can't protect him to get the ball to him, you're really in trouble. So it's really a balancing act. And I think I think what's really interesting about the Packers is they don't they don't often commit a lot of – uh, they've decided what's important. They don't spend a lot of uh, high draft picks on offense or uh, offensive line, and um, but they, but multiples, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't they, they don't value running backs. So they don't take high running backs, but they take multiple running backs. We don't mm-hmm. take high uh, offensive linemen, but we take multiple of yeah. them every single year. But Houston seems to be doing that at the quarterback position, which seems absurd that that you know when there's probably of the 32 teams when there's probably only 24 legit quarterbacks maybe Mm -hmm. 20 um to to bet that you're the team that can do it without (laughs) is is is, that seems like a pretty big stretch and i guess we should give them credit they did draft deshaun watson this year but the fact that it took them this many years to pick a quarterback is ludicrous and deshaun watson third round is that Uh, no he i think he he was uh top in the teens i think was he okay uh oh yeah yeah, you're totally right i got that wrong Uh, but i don't really expect any of those teams to really uh, the giants i think have the best chance because of that that pedigree they have but uh 
I think the Bengals are done. Um, Cardinals are definitely done. And the Texans, the only chance they have is if Mar- Marcus Mariota Marcus Mariota gets hurt because that division has two, if not now, including the Texans, three of the worst teams in football. So I think unless Tennessee has terrible injury problems or Mariota completely underperforms, I think they run away with it. So I think Houston's not a problem. And I said years ago that both the Bengals and Texans should be banned from the playoffs for all time because they've never had one good memorable game in any of their appearances. <laughs> and so good riddance to the Bengals and Texans. You know, uh, and, and Lewis, their coach over there, he's been a coach there an awfully long time. And they just they keep taking players who have issues. Yeah. They te- uh, keep uh, taking players that, that, that get in trouble on and off the field. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, if their coach has, you know, uh, secret pictures of somebody or something <laughs> that he, that keeps going in that direction. But, you know, they take Mixon this year as well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you can have one or two of those guys over a period of time, but to stock your whole team with them and then somehow be surprised that, that they don't mesh well in the locker room or um, I don't think that's a surprise at all. Definitely not. And TJ Watts debut with the Steelers, seven tackles, six solo, uh, two sacks, a pass breakup and an interception. Um, we had talked earlier in the day um, before Corey had sent this in about TJ Watts day. So the one sack, he made a really nice move on the tackle, kind of spun back to the inside after rushing up field. And, but Deshaun Kaiser played yesterday. He showed some promise, but he played like he didn't know was within the rules for the quarterback to leave the pocket. <laughs> so we'll, we'll say that a little bit, but the interception he had, again, it was kind of a bad throw, but he jumped really high to get it um, almost out of his zone and got it uh, before the guy behind him got it. So I think, Probably not made by a veteran. But the thing is, and this is maybe an area where Chris and I will disagree, is that if he turns out to be as good as his brother, I'm going to be really disappointed. One, because not disappointed that it happened, but disappointed that he's not a Packer because I really, A, we needed him. He's a position that they needed, although Nick Perry's played well yesterday. But to me, if he's as good as J.J. Watt, if... Kevin King is only as good as Tremont Williams, and Vince Beagle is only as good as like AJ Hawk. You still got the wrong end, rod of the deal, in my opinion. Well, I, I'm gonna uh, uh, I struggle with that one uh, because no, number two, we haven't seen Vince Beagle, mm-hmm. and as I've mentioned in the podcast before, that they are almost ident- athletically um, and their their speed, their their size, their width. Um, Beagle actually had more sacks than yeah. than Watt did, so so let's just you know let's hold yeah. our breath here a little bit. And I think we need to give him a chance, but also we always talk about Ted Thompson thinking he's smarter than the rest of the world. Yeah. There's a reason one guy's a first rounder and one guy's a fourth rounder. No, I, I think I, okay, that's fine, but you got two. Yeah. <laughs> See what you what you don't get is 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 uh, T.J. Watt that effective when you don't have a cornerback to cover in the backfield. That's you know, perhaps not, or uh, when he's not playing Cleveland, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so again, here's a, you know, we can't get go overboard too far in one direction after one game, mm-hmm. and Cleveland is Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, is T.J. Watt a good player? Yeah, he's he's a really good player. Would I have loved to see him in a Packer uniform? Sure, absolutely. Um, but 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 you don't. I don't think you have that uh, that luxury. Mm-hmm. When uh, you know you get two players that could potentially be the cornerstones of your defense for the next 
10 years, not superstars, sure. but cornerstones for the next 10 years that you can build around. So let's, you know, let's just, um, you know, tap the brakes a little bit mm-hmm. and just say TJ had a really great game. Mm-hmm. He looks really good. And uh, let's see what Beagle looks like when he comes out. Yeah, let's not do that. TJ Watt on pace for 32 sacks, <laughs> um, 16 interceptions. The lousy Aaron Rodgers on pace for 16 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. And look out. Peyton Manning's Broncos because the Rams are going to score over 730 points this year. Wow, so. that's uh, you know if all we had to do is play this thing on paper, we'd be in really great shape. It's practically set in stone. And, and so. not only that, but you know, remember T.J. Watt also went to a team that has a you know is has been defense minded for some long period of time, and so you know in order to have that kind of production, you got to have somebody on the other side doing pretty good work as well, or they just run away from you. Sure. So um, in the context of you know he did exactly what it was expected to, and maybe a little bit more in exactly the the context that would make you look really good um two good players we haven't seen our yet ours yet that's fair all right uh real quick the biggest non-packer positive surprise from week one and the biggest non-packer disappointment from week one around the league so i think the i think the bears played really well mm-hmm. i was really shocked um and and that was with glennon i, I don't think trubisky even got in the mm-hmm. game but you know the the bears now being the bears they were uh down by six they had four shots at fourth and goal and they couldn't score and two of the passes were dropped in the end zone yeah. so so there you know there you go bears fans you write in and just say whatever you want but uh you know over the last several games the last one of the last games of last year in this game you know you've had four touchdowns dropped in the end zone yeah. that would have won the game right in their hands so uh but but played really well yep. against an Atlanta team that you know after they beat the Packers that way were world beaters and were up by 25 in the Super Bowl <laughs> so so once again is Atlanta worse because they're outside on grass uh or are the ba- Bears better than we thought they were so I think I think they're a really big surprise and uh, for me, the Giants are the disappointment. Sure, you know that uh, that's an easy one for me. They just looked completely lifeless. Yeah, absolutely. Those are good ones. I think for me, seeing how good Derek Carr was off the injury in the first game when Marcus Mariota was also coming off the injury and didn't play quite as well, um, Derek Carr is going to be a stud. He, I think he's four or five years, maybe even less away from kind of joining that elite level. Right. He looks more on the surgeon rather than Chucker side of things. So I think he he was at Fresno State, right? He Fresno yeah. State, uh, you know. Quick, you take a look at the quarterbacks that come from quick passing rhythm offense schemes. Mm-hmm. Um, not you know not running gun teams, but 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 precision teams. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, you yeah. know, at Cal, really really those are the quarterbacks that are going to win in the NFL because ultimately you can have as many exciting runs as you want. It's it's the Joe Montana's that stay in the pocket and throw on rhythm that are really going to win Super Bowls. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, the biggest disappointment is outside of the realm of teams, obviously there's teams like the Bengals who didn't know the season started yesterday, thought they showed up for another nine on seven and ended up having to play the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> but to me, it was the absolute obsession in every pregame show about scandal who's gonna sit for the national anthem and who is being suspended and is this suspension justified and all of that and then during the games every single call that was made was nitpicked to death i i know you know they have the fantasy emphasis well they also have this drama emphasis for the people who you know are maybe watching football but don't really care that much about it it's like i know that some of these things are interesting but does I feel like John Goodman in the Big Lebowski, and I won't say it like that. But am I the only one out here who gives a you know what about the games? 
Yeah, and, and, and don't forget the NFL. We talked about the NFL being a business. And with social media and with Twitter, I mean, those things are becoming really topical. If you look at, if you watch Twitter during games, that's the kind of stuff they're talking to. So, so my belief, it's, it's just my guess, but my belief is that they're catering to the moment-by-moment social media crowd who are not hardcore football fans and are either fantasy fans or just looking for the newspaper article or the next thing to write about, you know, half an hour yeah. after the thing happens as the biggest ne- next biggest thing in the NFL. So I, I think they know who their audience is. I know they're a business, and I know that they're still trying to sell product. And con- listen, controvert- bad news sells newspapers, unfortunately. But I think it's fatiguing their legitimate football fans because I think that's the, the marketing room meeting idea of how this is going to work. But the truth is... Those people are not going to watch Bengals and Texans on Thursday. No, I think you're absolutely right and there. And they're exhausting people like me who would watch Bang- Bengals and Texans. is like my worst <laughs> match in the NFL. But would watch those things and have in years past. And it's just, I know those things are important. But I think they think that like this national anthem story is such a big thing. And I think most of the country, dare I say, thinks that Colin Kaepernick has the right to take a knee but people have the right to be bothered by it. And I think they see both sides. Yeah, sure. But I think most people don't want to hear about and, it. And the media is trying to get you to pick, choose a yeah, side. Well, maybe are. they're both right. You know, <laughs> uh, so, so Abraham Lincoln famously said that, that a person's right to extend his fist ends where the other fellow's nose begins. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick has a right to do it. And if teams so choose to not want that controversy on the team, they have the right to not employ mm-hmm. him. There you go. End of story. And if there is any fan out there, because there there are fans that said, I'm never watching the NFL again because a few guys are taking a knee, which I'm sure they're standing in their home during the National Anthem. Sure. <laughs> and then they have. there's other people that were picketing the NFL headquarters because someone hadn't signed Colin Kaepernick. Well, now if I'm the Jaguars, are you going to picket me when Blake Bortles inevitably has a stinker? So I get it on both sides. If you're boycotting the NFL because you're on either of these sides – I think you're pretty silly. You know, in the past, for me at least, sports has been a uh, a vacation from the real yes. world. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had three uh, hours or, well, actually most uh, Sundays, more like 12 hours <laughs> of vacation from the, the, the toils and the tribulations of the rest of the world. But now we're letting it creep in. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, I, yeah, I, I, it bothers me. It, yeah. it frustrates me too. And I think the NFL shouldn't lose sight of that, that it's important to show that you live in the real world with everybody else. But don't fall too far down that rabbit hole. Nobody expects you to be the political commentators. They want you to distract them from those people. Yeah, politics in uh, in sports. Just I mean, come on. It's the one. It's the one place that that we're supposed to be able to get a vacation <laughs> from. That it's, it pounds us from every direction. You know, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Just give us that time, please. And um, you know, uh, players will keep doing it as long as you keep reporting on it. Yeah, exactly. And so. Um, I think it's another case in our modern society where everybody needs to perhaps chill out a little bit and the media needs to kind of stop making people pick sides on everything. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so uh, let's move on. We're not politics forever. Um, One thing I did read is that apparently they eliminated, I didn't notice it, but apparently they eliminated the score commercial kickoff commercial sequence and it... They eliminated it, and games were really fast. Well, I, I did notice it actually, because because if you think about it, you know they would they would score the touchdown, kicks the extra point. There'd be a commercial, there'd be a kickoff, and then there'd be a commercial, mm-hmm. and then they'd come back. And th- you didn't see that. You saw a kickoff, and then let's go to play. And and to me, it really, I mean, the other way, 
it felt really forced. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I loved the change. I noticed the change. I think it sped up the game. And um, and it, it, it righted one of the wrongs that has always bothered me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we always get new ads right at this time of year. So one thing I did notice, I'm usually not a – a huge fan of a lot of the ads because they're kind of stupid but the bud light guy in every moment of your life did you see that one? yeah i did actually where that he's coming home good. with you and stuff like that yeah. that's pretty funny yeah so we'll uh we'll give kudos to bud light for that one um and then the referee thing we don't have to go too much into that but once they do push politics to the side i feel like maybe it's a part of the, the kind of the social media culture but everybody if you're ever on twitter for during a sporting event it's like the Illuminati is picking the winner of all these games. <laughs> right. And I feel like, again, they're trying to kind of follow the loudest people, thinking it's representative of everyone. Fox is doing that now on their regional networks for baseball, where they have the box up there showing you where the ball went, and then the umpire doesn't have it, and they don't even use it as a coaching tool. So it's literally just to get you to think the ump is screwing your team. Right, right. And to have Mike Pereira in there every time a call happens, like, I wouldn't have done that. I'm like... You know what? There are bad calls, but I talk about my massive collection of games. I love watching an old game where it's clear the guy didn't catch it, or maybe he did catch it and it was close, he was called incomplete, and Summerall goes, he caught it. Oh, no. Incomplete. Second and ten. <laughs> and just over. Yeah. It's just done. Um, so so people, you know, if I, if I was in Seattle... You know, there are two calls that we haven't really talked about. Mm. I'll just really briefly. The interception and then the um, the absolutely blatant block in the back yeah. of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think I, <laughs> I'm surprised he got up after that. It was his It was his back that's on the, the side of him. He's got two backs. Exactly right. And then the, um, you know, the vicious punch to the head by Lane. Uh, you know, I, I, I no, no great surprise. Listen, if I were a Seattle team, yeah. uh, and then the non-interference of Jimmy Graham, mm-hmm. um if I were Seattle, I'd be upset, yeah. and I would just say to them two words: "Fail, Mary." And then <laughs> yeah. we'd, we'd then we'd move on from there. Uh, I think that's uh, absolutely true. Okay, so now we're looking forward um, to go ahead. yeah next week's game. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Real quick though, before we we go um, to next week's game, I just wanted to make um, a, a quick remark. So it is nine eleven today, and uh, I think it's always me as a kind of a history fan. Um, I think history is most interesting when you kind of hear what regular people thought about certain historical events. I mean, um, you know, people like to talk about different things, but most of us weren't involved in these things. We just were a a witness to them. Right. And uh, I've never heard your take on that. So where were you when 9-11 happened? Well, it's a super interesting story. Uh, So I'm an ex-military officer, and so uh, obviously uh, all of that really speaks to me. But that day, uh, two really interesting things about it. Number one, um, I was uh, 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 an operations manager in a paper manufacturing facility, and when the first plane hit, we turned on the news like everybody else in America, and we were talking about what a horrible tragedy was, and then we watched the second plane hit, and and it just went completely silent. Like, okay, this is this is not an accident anymore. And and so it was. You know, there were tears, including me. I, I was you know I, I'm 40 years old at the time, and um, and I was shocked. Now, the, and, and the more the more personal thing for me is that my brother was working at the Pentagon. My brother uh, was. Um, in the Pentagon, and the plane that hit the Pentagon destroyed his office. Okay, so we're freaking out. We're just like freaking out. When my dad calls my brother that morning, as he tells the story, he calls my brother's house to tell Lucy, his wife, or sorry, tell his sure. wife, sorry, oops, <laughs> yeah. um, 
that that uh, you know that she better turn on the news. And my my brother answers the phone. Oh. He had taken a day off to side his garage. Oh my gosh! And my wow. dad heard his voice and just started crying. Sure. And 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 he couldn't stop crying. And my brother was just like, "Hello, who is this? <laughs> you know sure. who is this?" Yeah. Wow. So we, we had a very personal touch there. Uh, and then after that, of course, my brothers, two brothers, spent many uh, many tours mm-hmm. in. Um, in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, so that's where we were, and it'll it'll absolutely shape. Uh, it's absolutely a day that shaped my life, in my opinion, of of whether this country is worth fighting for. Absolutely, and uh, you know, we we had were talking earlier um, before we were recording that I'm I'm hopeful that that's the most um, traumatic outside of personal day of my life. I mean, you, you that was one of the most impactful days in the history of the United States. But I think it really changed our culture in a lot of ways. And Mike and Mike were talking about it this morning on the way to work, and they put it in a great way. Um, I think it was Mike Greenberg said that this is the day that he takes the opportunity to think about all the people that during these moments run the wrong way. And with the hurricanes and things that we've had, I think to realize that there are people in this country that are willing to run the wrong way. There's a great commercial for the Marines that talks about um, that they run towards the fire. They Mm -hmm. run towards the explosions. They run towards the smoke. And, uh, boy, uh, we are so fortunate to have people like that in our lives who are willing to put their, their lives on the risk for us. And, uh, we, you know, we should never forget that we don't think of them very often, but boy, when, you know, if we get in a car accident, mm-hmm. we fully expect the ambulance to show up and we fully expect the nurses to be there. And, uh, goodness knows they do it every day. And sometimes it just, it takes a spotlight of nine eleven to be, just realize how incredibly grateful we should be for those people, um, who will, who will go to bat for us even, uh, you know, and, and, and in many cases, unfortunately pay the ultimate price. Yeah. Well said. And so. We have people like that to thank for uh, the life that we can lead where I choose to spend my time on trivial things like whether or not the Green Bay Packers can avenge their NFC Championship game loss at the Atlanta Falcons, opening their brand new stadium with their ceiling that still looks like something that shouldn't be shown on television. (laughs) But needless to say, how do you think the Packers will perform in Atlanta? Well, I want you to know that I'm uh, about the biggest homer, and I, I very rarely pick against the Packers, um, even in the 80s. Uh, so that you know that doesn't mean I was a smart guy. <laughs> Ditka, you're getting it today. Yeah, exactly right. And then they lose 61 to seven. I think the Packers struggle. I, I really do. Um, so I think they're better. I think it's a much closer game. My, my problem is not so much with the defense. You, if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I think we're much faster. Our number one cornerback from last year, Gunter, is now number five on the depth list. So we're so much better and we're so much faster. Uh, the trouble is that our offense, you know, the, the hope that you have is you can slow them down and we can keep up. I didn't see the indication that we can keep up mm-hmm. yet. Now, on the other hand, I didn't see Atlanta looking like Atlanta either. No, so They didn't play Seattle's uh, defense. <laughs> my, my, my heart says, uh, my heart says, Packers 31 uh, to 21 over Atlanta. Uh, my brain, unfortunately, says Atlanta 27, Green Bay 24. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a really tough one for the Packers. Uh, if it were maybe in week six or so, then I might have more hope that the offense could outscore them. You never know what could happen, but I guess what I'm looking for the most is if they lost 
21 to 17 or 24 to 20, I would feel much better about this team than if they lost 34 to 31. I I really want to see that defense follow up their performance against Seattle against a much different test. Perhaps you don't know because Atlanta's offense is dynamic as they were in the second half of last year. That's about as good as they've ever been. And I tell you, they were almost flawless that game. Yeah. So, so, so it's not like we we got the average Falcon performance. Mm-hmm. You know, we were at our absolute worst. They were at our absolute best, and it showed. Um, I think these two teams are much closer uh, in real life and on paper mm-hmm. than than they showed last year. And um, the the hope for the defense, you're exactly right. You hold these, you hold them to 24 points. Mm-hmm. Which you know th- that's still a lot of points, yeah. but you hold Atlanta to 24 points, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, we know our offense is going to get better, and we've seen our defense get better. I think we're right there. Absolutely, and then and then you have the hope, and then you, you're in a better position for Atlanta potentially. If you beat the Falcons, well, then you've beaten Seattle and you've beaten Atlanta, and so you'll have those in the bank when you go 11 and five, and the Eagles go 15 and one. And, still <laughs> the and again, that that game in Lambeau is a different game. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Atlanta's built on speed, and um, they're just faster than everybody else. And the crossing routes that they run are just, uh, you know, designed to leave to create havoc and leave people behind. So I think what you saw in Chicago is very typical of what they look like on grass, and it really is that much difference mm-hmm. being on turf. Absolutely. And so I think we're both picking the Falcons to likely win. Uh, I know. <laughs> um, dare I say though that. The win might be less important, knowing what we do about how these teams project out long term, as we talked about before. When you're, it's it's week two, you shouldn't be necessarily thinking about playoff positioning. Dare I say, it's more important for the defense to not be terrible than it is for them to even win. Yeah, I, when I looked at the schedule, I said if we can come out of the first games one and one, we're in great shape. Well, we're going to come out one and yeah, one at least or better. Um, and so, uh, you know, th- you'll be able to know very quickly because. We didn't hit the Atlanta quarterback. Did we hit him once? In, I mean, that whole game, it seemed like yeah. we, didn't, we weren't even close to him. Probably not. And so somewhere between, um, somewhere between uh, Mike Daniels living in the quarterback's um, pajama bottoms <laughs> and not touching the quarterback is probably what we'll see. And uh, it, do- it doesn't take many hits to, to blow up that kind of precision offense. Um, so we'll just see if, you know, Devon House is a much better uh, one-on-one defender. Uh, he matches up much better with Julio Jones than anybody else does. Um, I think we're better. So uh, we keep it close, and we start to click. Um, even if you lose this game, you realize that you're right there for the NFC, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in, in, in line for the NFC title. So let's hope we see some of that and maybe sneak out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium with a win. Uh, if you want to share who you think is going to win this game, you can do so on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast. You can tweet at us, at Green Gold Forever. Chris, that's the number four. Okay. Um, if you want to send us an email, if you have some topic ideas or if you have a long uh, comment that um, – for whatever reason you want to share an email, you can do so. Green and gold podcast at gmail.com. You can go to the website, greengoldforever.podbean.com, which I shouldn't have to tell you that that's where you likely are right now. Um, <laughs> if not, you're on the Podbean app. So if you're on the Podbean app, go to the Podbean page 
and see our complete archives and read some of the articles. If you're on the Podbean page, download the Podbean app. What are you, you doing? You might as well have it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, don't cost nothing, right? Absolutely. And uh, you can also follow us on uh, iTunes and follow the podcast on there. You can find it by searching Green and Gold Forever. I think if you search Eric Drews, it also comes up. So that's kind of a power trip for me. And uh, please, listen, uh, please keep the great questions and comments coming. I got to tell you, this is so much uh, uh, easier to do and so much more fun when we uh, we get those comments and those questions because um, we want to give you what you're interested in. Absolutely. And one of the comments that we're going to get to is uh, John Bellish and the what-if question that he sent us. What if Arizona's Nate Poole didn't make the catch in Week 17 of the 2003 season that knocked the Vikings out of the playoffs and put Green Bay in? But we're going to share that with you on Wednesday in a special Wednesday what-if. So uh, look for that on Wednesday. That'll be up on the Podbean page. And uh, until then, uh, enjoy my Monday Night Football. As we sit here, it's Vikings 10, Saints 6. Every time I look up, the two teams are crashing into each other like bowling pins. It doesn't appear to be that the offensive downward trend is going to continue with these two teams, but uh, somehow I hope they both lose. Um, But either way, enjoy your uh, Monday evening. Thank you so much for joining us, and take care, everyone.